Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. I want to share an article with you about abuse. This is part two of a podcast that I recently did. In fact, the other one, excuse me, the other one was titled The Carefulness and Competence Needed When Helping the Abused. If you want to read that article, listen to the podcast, or watch the video, you're welcome to go to that resource source on our website and you can read, you can watch, you can listen. Of course, you can do the same with this. This is part two. And so what I want to do in this particular article is I want to move the counseling along. In the first article that I shared with you, I really talked about going slow and listening to the individual and being compassionate and understanding that this is a vulnerable, broken soul. And so you don't want to move too quickly. However, we need to move along eventually, and so this is part two. I mentioned also in the previous one that there's no way that you can talk all things abuse in, in one article or even in one book, and so that's why I've written another article here. You are more than welcome to read this article. You can read, watch, or listen, and that would be fantastic if you can do that. The title of this article is Practically Navigating the Contours to Help an Abuse Victim. Let me share it with you now. Patiently loving the abused while listening to their story to comprehend what happened to and in them is vital. You also want to represent Christ most effectively, and you can do this if you do not move faster than you need to. One of the things that happens in a counseling construct is that sometimes we can feel like we're speeding up the process because counseling theoretically is thought about as having a start date and an end date, having a season of counseling. And when you're dealing with someone who has been abused, uh, you want to knock that end, end date out because you want to counsel them indefinitely, however long it takes. And so you can represent Jesus most effectively if you slow the process down. There's no way of cookie-cuttering cook, cookie this or codifying this because every situation is going to be different. And so there is no time limit that you can just fix on and say this is how long it should take because everybody is different. But you do want them to experience restorative care, meaning you do want to move them along. You just can't sit and listen forever and not ask them to do things. This is what we would expect when we go to the doctor. We want the doctor to hear what we're saying, but we also want him to move us along so that we could experience healing. Well, in the spiritual world, we want to experience restoration, and so at some point, the counselor is going to need the courage to speak into what's going on. And so as you consider this restoration process, there are several essentials that I want you to think about, and I'm going to outline some of them for you. Now, again, you don't want to refrain from helping the abused to get to a better place, but you must do it patiently and compassionately. And so as you progress to this stage in your care where you're trying to get them to do things and to move along, you want to continually saturate your truth speaking with affirmation, encouraging the individual. Let's call her Mabel, the victim of abuse. 
Now, there is a delicate tension with Mabel, and you will not be able to navigate this flawlessly. And I think that needs to be said as well. You don't want to put undue pressure on yourself. Of course, you don't want to be sloppy, uh, but we also have to recognize that we will not do this perfectly. And then you want to prepare yourself for some tough, delicate, notice the tension there, tough, delicate conversations. You see, not speaking challenging truths intended to restore Mabel, that would not be love. But speaking those truths without compassion, well, that will complicate her soul. And so you want to be careful with these tough, delicate tensions that you have going on. One of the things that she needs to experience from you is your loving strength. Because your care is strong, you can't help but speak the truth to her. Now, this is a tension for the skilled counsel, Lord, not for the novice. And at some level of her soul, she will respect your careful courage. There is a similarity here between how parents shepherd their children. Kids have more respect for parents who speak the truth in love than those parents who are afraid to show courage because of the potential rejection. They disrespect the equivocating parent. And so while you digest Mabel's abuse, you want to discern what she is communicating about her heart. Now, part of this process is you're listening to her. You're going to hear what she's telling you, and you're going to hear what she is not saying, things that she might not even know about her inner thought life, but that is where you come in, and so you want to listen at both of these levels. Now, this component of discipleship is key as you help her. You see, Christ understood how the stories that people told were clues, like breadcrumbs, to how they thought about life, to how they thought about God, to how they thought about themselves, how they thought about others, and thus that gives you an indication of why and how they lived their lives. This approach to caring for Mabel is why empathetic listening is not enough. And what I mean by empathetic listening is just hearing what they're saying, but not doing anything. It would be best if you had biblical listening too. And there is a courageous element to this kind of listening because you do want to speak that truth with love. And so this kind of courageous listening will lead you from what has happened to her in her external world, the abuse that she's going to tell you about, to how it has affected Mabel's inner world at the soul level. The way she tells her tragic experiences will reveal her perspectives on God, on herself, on others, on what happened to her. And as you listen to these things, you will discern the true Mabel, the person who is unmasking her vulnerable soul to you. Are you sensing the responsibility and the danger in this process? I hope that you are. You're a soul surgeon as you cooperate with the Lord, guided by his word, 
to care for a broken person. Now, Mabel will not know herself clearly, or she will not know how to work through her complexities, which is why that she would come to you. If she knew the depth and the complexity of her struggle and how to resolve those things, well, I mean, she could fix herself, but she can't. And many people who have been abused, this is the position that they find themselves. And so Mabel needs you. And so you must filter her story through the grid of God's Word. That is the filter. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, that it can speak to what has happened to her. And so that is the filter, the lens through which you will hear what she was, is saying to you. And she will feel your care as you listen to her telling her story from the upper level, what went on, the actual abuse, on down to the deeper heart level, and she will receive your care as you rightly interpret her story as part of God's story and what his intentions are for her life. And you want to eventually get her there because God is with her. God, We're assuming Mabel's a Christian. God is with her, and he is working something in her life. Only the Lord can use sin sinlessly, and you want to help her to get to that place of restoration and then having a redemptive purpose in God's world. Remembering that Mabel is not entirely different from you, that's going to aid you as you progress with her. You see, her struggles and your struggles have an echo of commonality. Of course, the most apparent difference between you and Mabel will be the trauma. That will not be yours. That will be hers. Let me give you an analogy of what I'm talking about. It's like EMS, emergency workers, they are stabilizing a traumatized a person who was in an accident on the side of the road. Once the stabilization has happened, the EMS team begins working on the victim as they would work on any person. Once they do the triage, once they stabilize them from the horrendousness of what happened, then they go in and work on them just like they were working on any other person. Now, you have not been traumatized. She has. But after you stabilize her and are ready to bring care to her, this is where you're going to find that she is not a lot different from you, not a lot different from me at the level of the heart where all restorative care begins. This upper, lower level concept is why you want to work hard on the front end by stabilizing her through love and hope and trust and compassion and listening. Let her feel your care, your patience, your perseverance. As her guard begins to come down, as she becomes more receptive to what you have to say, you will have an appropriate influence to do the things that you need to do to help her. Before coming to you, she lived in a fortified world with many self-protective barriers, and it makes sense as to why. She had to learn how to keep people away. That will make it challenging for you to stick with her and to penetrate those barriers. That's why I talk so much about patience and perseverance and compassion. Erecting relational obstacles is one of the ways that she could protect herself because no one else would. Her parents did not protect her. Her abuser did not protect her. Other authority figures did not protect her. 
Even the Lord did not stop the abuse from happening. When you see Mabel's abuse through her eyes, those four realities about her parents, her abuser, authority figures, and yes, even the Lord, when you see it through her eyes, then you see the hopelessness of it, which would motivate anybody to double down from letting anyone inside their fortified life. Her logical brain operates just like yours. She does not want anyone with power or authority to hurt her again. And so when you show up, there will be a force field erected to deter you until she can vet you to see if you are a friend or a foe. As you begin to prove yourself to be different from her abuser, you can address these hidden matters of the heart, these lower-level complexities that you really want to engage so that you can help her to move her toward a restorative place. Mabel's problems will be unique to her because nobody has the same story on the upper level, and so you will need the wisdom to listen to her unique narrative and then connect what has happened to her to the lower level universal struggles where you and she are alike. This point here that I'm making is crucial because many counselors do not understand the dissimilar, similar complex. We're all different on the outside. All of our stories are different. What has happened to us, the things that we have done, but we very much mirror each other on the inside, lower level at the heart level. Let me permit Please permit me to give you a few common problems that you will begin to discern as you listen to her story. I want to share four common things that relate to you, me, and Mabel. And as you listen to her unique story on the upper level, you will hear some of these lower level things, four of them that I want to present to you. The first one is unbelief. Trusting God is at the top of our common-to-man problems list. There is always a functional gap between how we live our lives every day and how we could live our lives for the Lord. What I'm saying here is, is that we have yet to reach perfect sanctification. We're not perfect yet. And so there is a gap between how we live functionally and how God wants us to live, meaning that there's areas where we are not trusting the Lord. Imagine having someone abuse you and how it shatters your trust, even in God. Many abuse victims have asked me not to use the word Father, capital F, Father as in God the Father, when talking to them. For most of them, it was their fathers abusing them. You want to help Mabel to re-believe in God again, to help her fortify a faith that someone else shattered I mentioned earlier that you must address the where was God when this happened to me question. Why didn't he rescue me? How does he view me? Does he even care? Why doesn't he change me? These are all trust God, unbelief questions. Now, again, we have those same tensions in our hearts. So don't avoid the God questions because they will have the most significant impact on her restoration. She needs the real and true God most of all. 
And as you have probably already discerned, there will be hindrances that will impede her desire to run to him. And so one of the common to man problems that she will struggle with at this lower heart level will be unbelief, which is something that both you and I can relate to. A second one is shame. A significant anchor point will be her engagement with shame. She has experienced the deepest defrauding of her soul. In the previous article that I did, I, I called it a the double damaged effect. She was born in Adam, making her defiled and broken, just like you, just like me. That's how we all come into the world. And so we're broken that way. Doctrinally, this is called total depravity. No need to say this to her. I'm not suggesting that you tell her this. She already has a high awareness that there is something wrong with her. She doesn't need your reminder about her Adamicness, her total depravity. Mabel has an acute experience of this double whammy, broken and pummeled by Adam like you and me, and then broken and pummeled by an abuser, which may be unlike you, definitely unlike me. Biblical shame is a crippler, and when someone compounds an already complicated problem, you will need much patience and grace to walk them through it. And so there will be a struggle with unbelief, a struggle with shame, number three, a struggle with guilt. Shame and guilt are not the same, though they connect to each other. Mabel's guilty feelings will be all over the map. And there will be genuine guilt and there will be false guilt. Now, when I say false guilt, I don't mean that she cannot sense it. I'm saying that God is not the one initiating a sense of guilt. That's what I mean by false guilt. Let me give you some illustrations of what I mean by guilt. I'll give you three. One, she is guilty before God like the rest of us. I was talking about that earlier. But this guilt has nothing to do with what happened to her. I'm talking about Adamic fallenness exclusively. There can be a conflation about who she is in Adam and what someone did to her, and you have to be aware of that. She can conflate those two things, and so you want to help her distinguish inherent Adamness from the violence that her abuser did to her, and that's his false guilt, true guilt complex I was talking about. A second illustration, Mabel may blame herself for what happened to her. That's not unusual, and that's where you want to walk her out of that. You won't help her to get untangled from that because it was not her fault. But it is common for victims to do this. Maybe her abuser accused her. That happens a lot. Perhaps she told someone, like, say, a pastor, and they did not believe her or told her father maybe, and they blamed her for what happened. Mabel will be vulnerable to gaslighting. And so you want to be in tune with this so you don't do as others might have done while teasing out this self-condemnation that could be resident in her. And so there's this conflation of what is true and false. And then a third illustration is that there are some abuse victims where the person experiences a form of pleasure 
which is possible when it's sexual abuse, even if it's unwanted, unsolicited sex. Though what happened to her was violence, was abuse, was insanity, was defrauding, be aware of the possibility of this complex dynamic which will convolute her thinking. And so guilt will be in play at this lower level, and you want to listen to that and tease out what is true and false. And so there is unbelief, there is shame and guilt. When she's ready, she will need to correct any wrong thinking, but recognize that you might lay down more guilt, which is why I have used the analogy before of the person with the world's worst sunburn. Be careful. They need what you have, but it can hurt just a little bit. And so you have to help her while recognizing she may be in bondage to the complexity of, like, say, true and false guilt. You're discerning the entangling of the complexities, so you want to tread carefully as you keep compassion and courage at the forefront of your thinking. Let me illustrate. Mabel might be legitimately sinning in specific ways, so it is true guilt. Let's say that she is responding in sinful anger. It's not unusual for the victim of abuse to be angry. I was an abused child, and anger was my my go-to sin. I mean, I responded in sinfully angry ways, and that had part to do with the abuse. This is not unusual at all. And so if Mabel is transgressing, sinning, she may have difficulty sorting out her sin from what does not belong to her. You have to help her. She may also respond in anger to protect herself from what sounds like an an authoritative accusation that she uses anger as a manipulative tactic. Do you see the double effect? She is sinning and feels a sense of justification even though she is sinning because she perceives the need to protect herself. It, It could sound like this. I may be sinning, And it may be wrong, but I have to do this because I have to protect myself. That is a guilt conundrum. And so you you don't want to be intimidated by this. You don't want to be afraid of being canceled. And again, her problems are no different from yours, though her difficulties are exponentially more acute than yours. And so if you know how to counsel yourself through unbelief, through shame, through guilt, then you will be able to bring help to her. If you do not know how to counsel yourself through these patterns of unbelief, shame, guilt, well, then you're not going to be able to bring any kind of adequate care to her. And if this is the case, then I would appeal to you to find help for yourself as a matter of first importance. I have an article on our website that's titled something like why biblical counselors should not uh, do abuse cases because they may be certified, but they are not qualified. And so as you think through these complexities, there is a skill involved. There is experience, maturity involved that you've been doing this for a long time because there are things that you need to discern that will not just just be uh, evident. Uh, to the natural eye. And so some of the universal problems that you will hear on this lower level are struggles with unbelief, shame, and guilt. And then the fourth one is fear. This component, when considering our universal, universal assumptions that you can make about anybody, we all struggle with these things, this fourth one is that Mabel is just afraid. 
It, it is obvious. Everything I've said thus far has a fear component to it. Think through some of what her fears could be. What do you think she might be afraid of as a victim of abuse? I want to share a few thoughts with you, and as you consider them, also factor in her level of Christian maturity before the abuse happen. And and I'm saying this because who she was before the abuse happened will affect the breadth and depth of her fears at this point in her life. If I were abused as a mature Christian, well, that's going to be far different than being abused as an immature Christian. I'm not saying that Mabel is immature, but you want to factor in uh, how these fears, uh, where she's at today and her fears, well, it will have something to do with her maturity before she was ever abused. But here's a partial listing of some of the things that she will be afraid of. Afraid of God. As I've already mentioned, she's afraid of authority figures, obviously. She's afraid of herself. She doesn't trust herself. She could be afraid of you. She's afraid of the church, afraid of relationships, afraid of commitment, afraid to make decisions, afraid of new things, afraid of being hurt, afraid of being afraid. And you can add to that list. But fear will be a component, and again, fear is normal for all of us, so at some level, we should be able to help her to work through fear as we work our own selves through our own fears. Now, because of everything that I have listed, unbelief, shame, guilt, fear, there will also be other tensions, uh, ancillary struggles that she will have. Most of these will be like coping mechanisms, things that she uses to just to survive another day. For example, I mentioned anger because that was a common one with me when I was a teenager working through the effects of being abused by my father. And that is typical for most of us. When we are not getting our way or feel bound, feel restricted, feel confused, it's natural to vent. I'm not saying it's right, but to vent as a natural way of working out what is bothering us. And so let's say that Mabel lashes out in anger and you respond with frustration, that's not good. If you do that, she will blame you because it, will be, it won't be possible for her to admit that she was wrong when she got angry because she will be resisting any form of self-criticism or self-condemnation. And so all of the blame will be on you. Now, some of the blame will be yours if you have sinned against her, as I I'm using in this illustration that you have, and so you need to seek repentance from her, and you need to clean up your mess before you uh, start helping her. But she will have some temptations here if she sins in anger because that is a coping mechanism. It's a temptation with abuse victims to take the role in such cases of moral superiority. The temptation will be to ascend to a delusional moral higher ground where you can't say anything critical about them. And so they won't own the fact that they are sinning. And actually, they will continue to roll the role of a victim. They rarely recognize what is happening to them. They don't typically see this with the clarity that I trust that you are at this point. They can't do this because of the strong desire to live in a hermetically sealed bubble of self-deception and self-protection. It's a coping method. In such cases, the victim of abuse will choose their current pain rather than the pain of trying to change. In worst cases, the victim's pain becomes their identity. 
they will join a social media platform group and they will be part of that group and this is their identity it's like alcoholics anonymous always an alcoholic always a victim and if you attempt to dismantle the only life that they have known now then they can resist that even in some adverse ways while maintaining the victim's role let me wrap up by talking about one of the things that's essential when helping someone like Mabel through this you could be listening to the podcast and thinking there's no way I can help these victims and I would say that you're partially correct you can't do this alone this job is for you is for God is for a caring community of Christ-like disciple makers discipleship should be a full body experience where the church comes together participating according to each one's ability. I want to give you a list of a few things that Mabel needs to build the right kind of community. She needs God, obviously. She needs a local church. She needs a female friend. She needs a small group. She needs to learn the regular spiritual disciplines and to begin practicing uh, disciplines. She needs accountability from close friends. She needs your care. She needs counseling. She needs time. And you can continue to add to this list. I will probably say this to my dying day, but counseling is not the best option for progressive sanctification. A God-centered local church is the best option for you, for Mabel, for me. Counseling can be an excellent means of grace in any person's life like temporary triage, but it is not the only means of grace. I have seen the best sanctification results in a person's life when they come to counseling while actively engaging their local church. And I do understand that uh, it, it might be difficult to find a good local church, even here in the United States. The title of this article here practically navigating the contours to help an abuse victim. You can go to the call to action at the bottom. If you really want to work through this article, I would encourage you to do so. I have a handful of questions for you. And again, there are a bunch of embedded links throughout this article, plus part one. I would love for you to read, watch, or listen to that. Some of you may even want to consider our Mastermind program where we train individuals to do soul care, discipleship, biblical counseling, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you want to enroll in that program. Thank you for listening. If we can serve you in any other way, please let us know. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.